What's up, everybody? I'm going to confuse both of these guys because I didn't mention at all that I wanted to do this. Uh, but hey, I wanted to jump in before the podcast started uh, to let everybody know that we're opening a Discord server. Opening? Is that the is that the word that you would use? Launching? Launching. I don't. I can't think of an older word than opening. Yeah. Revealing. Was there a name for the ribbon cutting thing that they do? I want to seem as out of touch as possible. That would be the optimal thing. That would be yeah, good. Like a... We're having our Discord christening ceremony. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the dis-christening. Yeah. Which you can find uh, the link to down in the description of, of the YouTube video or the episode notes if you're on iTunes or Google Play or whatever. And we're going to put a thing on the website. I say we're going to. It should already be there by the time this goes live. Uh and, you know, that's that's where you're going to find the link uh, to talk about the games, actually have a discussion, uh, disagree with us as much as you want, whatever you want to do. Uh, and with that, like, comment, subscribe. Let's move on to the episode. <laughs> Welcome to Noclip. I'm Chad Rutherford. I'm J.J. Artemis. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Deracine, uh, which is a game that was developed by From Software and was released in November of 2018. So, I kind of want to do something a little bit different on this episode. Okay. You guys get out. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of my world. uh, Because this is the first time we're talking about a VR game, uh, and, you know, all of that shit, Mm -hmm. I kind of want to have this, like... Brief round table, and there's a lot kind of to get into with this game and crack open, but the game itself is pretty short, so I'm hoping this doesn't, like, extend past, like, our normal welcome uh, for the episode. But I do kind of want to have, like, a no spoilers, let's just talk about everyone's first, like, VR experience. <laughs> Uh, wait, wait. How can there be spoilers to VR no, as a whole? No, saying no spoilers for the game. Oh, on oh. the game podcast okay. until we and we'll do like a proper spoiler warning and when we actually get into the the meat of it. I mean, not that I didn't want there to be like a grand VR secret that everyone <laughs> right. kept. But. Yeah, we don't want to spoil. <laughs> when you put the VR headset on for the first time, your uh, a red ring is delivered unto you. <laughs> That allows you to siphon life. Anyway, uh, so this was the first like full game that I played all the way through in VR, and I don't, that I know that that's also true for you, Andy, but I don't know if that's true for you, JJ. Yes, no other VR game that I had played before this is the kind of game that would make sense to describe as being beaten. It's nothing. It's something that'd be a narrative experience. It's something that you might be able to master or sit on like an amusement park ride, but nothing that I would say is worthy of the term game completion. Right. I think I think that's actually the amusement park ride is a really good way to put this, not just because for the last two years of VR being like pretty readily available, uh, it was marginally readily available for about like seven-ish years, but it's only been a few since they've actually sort of made it mass market acceptable. Uh, have been tech demos. Like a lot of games have just been like, do this thing for a little bit and then it's over. Uh, 
the this game and uh, there are others like it. I'm not. I don't want to hold it up on a pedestal this fucking early. <laughs> uh, are more of like narrative experiences, things that you you sit down and you play until you see credits, and that's pretty uncommon even still. Mm-hmm. I have a theory for why this is. It hit me. I think the human body was not made for VR. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely still kinks to be ironed out mm-hmm. in that respect. I my take is far stronger than that. <laughs> it, is, it is not that I believe like ah there's a problem. I want to I want to be the guy who was like no human shouldn't go faster than 13 miles an hour on trains. I want to be that guy for VR. I think there will never be a solution. I think for as long as we live, we're going to keep trying through the Matrix thing, and we're going to keep finding new ways that it doesn't work and new ways to throw up and die and have seizures. <laughs> I mean. I was the biggest... Uh, we talked about VR on the Portal episode a million years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was the biggest naysayer of VR <laughs> then. And I'm also, I think... I don't know about you, JJ, but I think I'm the one who gets motion sick the worst out of all of us here. Like, the Talos Principle made me motion sick. <laughs> uh, but and that's I, not the Talos Principle VR. That's just no, the, no, just the Talos Principle. Um, but... From what I've read, which I mean, I don't know how credible these sources were, uh, but it seems like it's something that's being worked on, and I feel like there's probably a solution. I'm just going to be more optimistic than you, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, while I feel like JJ was uh, being a little hyperbolic yeah. intentionally. Uh, okay, okay. Let's take a deep breath here then and clarify the statement. I think any solution that will come to these fundamental VR problems will require 100-year future future tech <laughs> or intravenous something or another. I think there will be something that will have to go into your veins, uh, and I don't think either of those are acceptable. Oh, they do, a VR drug. They do make, um, and I've used these for uh, amusement park trips, these little patches that release something into your like your skin and in turn your bloodstream, I think. I'm assuming uh, that keeps you from getting motion sick, so you could get a prescription for some of those. Holy shit! Really? Yeah, they work. Okay, fifty years of future tech. <laughs> yeah, I mean, plus like Dramamine has been a thing for like. Dramamine years. doesn't work for me. For me neither. Shit. Okay. Dramamine so. is a lie. Dramamine <laughs> is like old timey 1900 yeah. medicine. That's like just an advertised. Dramamine all, all just cure. makes you tired. Mm. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, mom, dad, I'm car sick. You take this Dramamine so you were asleep through the car ride. Right. Uh, But to springboard off of something that you said, like, I do think the technology is not quite there yet. This is the big thing I pushed on the Portal episode. Mm -hmm. And having Chad now owns PlayStation VR, and therefore I get to use it. Right. uh, With no investment on my part, which is the (laughs) ideal scenario. Mm -hmm. But, uh... Even then, yeah, like we were saying, a lot of the games are just kind of like VR experiences, air quotes, uh, and any most, uh, at least to my knowledge, full games for it are just regular games that you can now play in VR. And from oh, Chad said, uh, from playing Resident Evil Seven in VR, it just it is a nausea whirl. Yeah. yeah. Metroid Prime in VR, my long-standing, as you're both aware, (laughs) reason that I wanted VR, also just nausea-inducing for the same reasons, which is why I believe specifically what is required is a way to shut off our senses 
from any of our normal extremities, like just no inner ear connection at all. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think the technology required here is going to be some kind of brain cap or something that can just intercept all of the signals and just take them to the game instead. So until we get to there, that point when I'm probably dead uh, <laughs> and I can just go on the internet as, as whatever person that I want, like a formless, shapeless you have the ready player one version of this correct and i don't i think every other version of it uh is going to be moving around on little defined points that suck well for what it's worth uh i've played a lot of of games in vr at this point um and they do you know better or worse at it uh from depending on a lot sort of just the year the game was developed seemingly i think that there's some sort of accepted standards to prevent these issues from happening mm-hmm. but also people have discussed just having like their vr legs as you could put it where after doing it for a while it becomes less and less of a thing and it, it's gotten to the point where at times i can uh play for like several hours if the game is designed around it but the the big hurdle i think is smooth movement yes. like being able to walk around is is the thing that is the most d- deeply unsettling <laughs> for the human body it it feels like the stopgap solutions that had to be created to keep this from turning into a virtual boy situation was just lowering the frame rate of human action so low <laughs> that it's not really it's like acceptable. easily perceptible by your your puny human eyes yeah hands moving like 120 frames a second mm-hmm. everything else like three do the hands bother either of you two? Like, I know, like, this isn't the only game that works this way, but a lot of VR games have these disembodied hands mm-hmm. that you use. And it it's really, like, hokey and immersion-breaking, <laughs> like, that you just have, like, these severed hands that you can twist all the way around. Well, think about the alternative here, right? Because if you're going to be motion tracking you got to let some of them turn the hands all the way around, right? right? In that case, you now have these weird sort of rubbery arms, I'm imagining, that can mm-hmm. extend to all sorts of different lengths <laughs> and just bend and twist. That's fair. I mean, I'm sure there's a good reason for it, but, like, that just feel like that's another hurdle is UI. Mm-hmm. You want to... You are, like until we run out of ways to excuse all the technical limitations, like robot game where you have claw hands that, like, yeah. just move 180 degrees and it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, there are also games that just use the DualShock, like, regular controller on PSVR, and I'm sure other controllers on on other platforms, which really is just PC as far as, like, most people would have access to. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's Labo VR now, but I haven't tried it. <laughs> um, is that... Okay. Real talk. Okay. <laughs> is that just the Solid Eye? Did they get, like, the patent to the Solid Eye? Uh, it is like a proprietary cardboard contraption that you slap onto your face <laughs> that is effectively the same thing. But I also take issue with it because the thing that makes the Switch work with its motion sensing is entirely contained within the Joy-Cons, which means that they have to be attached to your face, <laughs> which means that you would theoretically have to also use... <laughs> yeah, you could do that. They work you, when they're disconnected. That's no. true, but they wouldn't track head motion. Right, it oh, tracks head motion. Okay. attached to your face. Yeah, you I hadn't thought about that. You need two pairs of Joy-Cons, or 
use a different, like a pro controller or something with the Joy-Con strapped. Yeah, okay. You know? I hadn't thought about that. It'd be great for submarine simulation. Yeah. Yeah. Virtually <laughs> nothing else. Periscope of you <laughs> put your hands up on the Joy-Cons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, the... All of these issues are things that may or may not end up getting worked out. And the stopgaps, from my experience at least, sort of fade into the background uh, over the course of... Like, there's one that a lot of people had a lot of issue with, which is when you're moving around, it puts, like, like people call them, like, blinders. It'll, like, limit your field of vision to, like, a much smaller area. And uh, after you play a game for long enough, you just stop noticing that entirely. (laughs) Um, so I think it's, I think that we're there. I think that games made for VR can work and there are some really good ones out there. Yeah. I think, um, I haven't played a lot of VR games, but I think Derecine, um, picks and chooses the right things to focus on. I, I, I think this kind of like, a densely packed, like single area that you kind of explore like a kind of adventure game, it is probably one of like the best things that like VR is kind of suited for right now. Mm-hmm. Like it felt more of like a realized concept than anything else I've played. Are we shifting into Derecine talk? Uh, sound the fucking spoiler klaxon. It's <laughs> Derecine time. Uh, Andy. Yes. I, if you think Derecine genuinely like picks and chooses its battles well, just to make sure mm-hmm. I have an understanding from the, the yeah. aeons ago in which you made the statement. Yeah, like for the capabilities of the technology right now. Okay, is the caveat. I had, I agree with a slice of you. Okay, and I putting the axe away. It's a small slice. Mm-hmm. I think present VR tech, based on what we figured out how to do now, is really impressively suited to making you feel like you are standing in a space in a way that is cool and impressive and neat. Head tracking allows you to just look around incredibly smoothly at different areas in any kind of room that you're in. And and modern hardware lets you be really detailed in the spaces enough that it's functionally seamless. The most impressive, the most impressed that I felt with Derecine at any point was almost always the opening menu screen. Like when I wasn't (laughs) adapted and didn't feel like normalized to the VR space yet. And I was just like, whoa, I'm back in the multiverse and here is like all this fucking cages and science shit and the chalkboard and all this other cool stuff. I feel like that is where current VR trends kind of end for me presently based on what I've experienced. And I know we, we opened this describing at length, like our comparative lack of experience here, but we have tried like what, like seven, eight different games of various sorts. I'm probably up to like 15 or 20. Okay. Yeah. And based on what you have been gracious enough to show me, like, I always get stuck in a point where once I feel like I have to start interacting with the world, I am immediately shown glaring limitations. I immediately move in a way that is deliberately chunky to prevent me from throwing up. I turn around, not smoothly, but in, like, discrete turn chunks with a button. And when I have to interact with something in the space, not only am I seeing weird disembodied kind of vaguely shaky ghost hands but the majority of stuff around me actually can't be interacted with like i have to look for blue outlines just like i would in any other game Mm -hmm. like the visuals the things that lend themselves to being like an amusement park ride are fucking incredible but i feel like when we it becomes a worse version of something 
like Edith Finch the moment that I have to interact with a space. Like I'd almost prefer not to be in that incredible seamless space at any one time. If the trade-off could be, I have smooth movement and I can allow myself to kind of get in that space and I don't feel like I'm constantly getting taken out of it. Like it's it goes further in VR, but it's broken more frequently for me. Yeah. I definitely sympathize with that. Like the the biggest issue I had while playing was like, sitting too close and like the camera not letting me pick up things that were like on the ground mm-hmm. right. uh, because it wouldn't like detect my hands that far down uh so yeah there are that that's like the biggest thing i think is like the the motion control uh focused vr games like you know motion controls aren't perfect especially since playstation move was developed for a last generation console right. yeah you know it makes it even worse um but uh, I I read a cool quote, though, from uh, Miyazaki, the director of this game, uh, where he said the thing he really liked about VR, like you, was that like being in the, the virtual space. But he said he always felt like disconnected from it in a way, like he was there, but not really kind of like a ghost, which was the inspiration for this game where you're like an invisible being going around this uh mansion without being noticed by the characters uh and i feel like on a subconscious level i kind of picked up on that while i was playing which like kind of allowed me to like get immersed in the world of this game even despite the limitations of like how you had to move and how the goofy hands could be sometimes. <laughs> now they're goofy ghost hands. Yeah, like, <laughs> despite its limitations, this game still managed to get me in, you know? Yeah, I, I think, it, like, because this is a good... Th- this game is a good example of how the thing that you brought up in the VR discussion of having weird disembodied hands mm-hmm. can be done in a way that isn't, like, horribly jarring. Because disembodied ghost hands are like a tried and true thing. <laughs> like the, mm-hmm. the disembodied ghost hands are like an all time classic as far as hands go. Uh, whereas like my comparison point, basically this game is going to be a discussion for me anyway, on how much I think Derecine gets where VR is and, and knows sort of what to do. Accomplishing its own goals requires it to misstep a number of times, but when they're looking at an individual scene by scene, if you look at it top down, I think Derecine understands like its strengths and limitations and tries to like exceed in all of those uh, as much as it can. Whereas Resident Evil Seven will be my forever <laughs> go-to. Doesn't understand VR because it was just well, sort of like slapped yeah, under yeah, a game that already existed. Yeah, so it's just the regular game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of they they made changes but they they weren't significant enough for the platform and the ghost hands is a huge thing because when they introduce you as sort of like a spectral thing by putting you not in a space but in a void mm-hmm. and they're like "Ooh, here's the spooky shit you can do as a fairy <laughs> and then resident evil 7 says you're a man driving a car but you have two the disembodied hands, hands with a with the sleeves like just the cuffs of the sleeves are folded back so it's not just hands but it's hands and parts of a shirt <laughs> that just terminate right like <laughs> halfway up the fucking forearm and it just looks horrible i even feel like 
and there might be like limitations with how this stuff works. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like even if you like got the like a gradient, like, and you got it just right to where it fades out, like it looks like it's fading out and becoming invisible. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't do that really. Like, they, like this game kind of does that a little, but there is a clear termination point. Right. right. And a lot of the issue comes from the fact that like in real life, you do a lot of things with your hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a this is somehow a problem that I have to discuss. Uh, but hands. you never cut those hands off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really important to life yeah. having hands. Having hands. So you do stuff with your hands, and you don't have to look at your hands to do things with them because it would be weird. You get that sense of touch. Yeah, <laughs> but mm-hmm. in VR you don't have that. There's no resistance. There's there's nothing. It's mm-hmm. just you're waving wands around. Uh, and so you have to like actively be watching what you're doing. Yeah. And so it makes the disembodied hand Stand big out. open quotes solution so bad because yeah, you look it because you're not even holding hands where your hands would be. You're holding them out in front of your face <laughs> mm-hmm. and like waving them around like a complete lunatic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. This is all the more reason why I think the intravenous tech is required, because then if you try and reach forward into a space where there is an object, it can just like harden your blood or something and like, <laughs> right, make it like keep... physically resistant. We yeah. do need that hard blood tech. <laughs> we do. <laughs> be good. <laughs> to say something positive, though, on, on VR trends, because I, I really do want my takeaway from at least my half of the tech to be like VR is good at really, really, really niche things and not what everyone wants VR to be. Yeah. Anything like the Buzz Lightyear ride in Epcot, <laughs> all of those need to be VR immediately. Yeah. Strictly better than anything like that to a ludicrous degree. Like that crazy clown game uh, that you enjoy oh, play. Yeah, Rush of Blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I wasn't the one playing that. I could tell if I was the one playing that I wouldn't want to be because of the, <laughs> yeah. all the clown fear. But then yeah. you would just be able to do that in your living room, though. And, like, part of the charm of a theme park ride is, like, being in the physical ride. Look, I understand like that, part, <laughs> that it's, like, part of an experience. Like, you're like, yeah. holy shit, they built all this useless crap just for the, our fun. Like, I get that that's part yeah, of the experience. That's, like, the whole appeal. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, not part not for, of the experience. <laughs> not for everybody, though, you know? Like, I think that That's for, not a fun game. If it was just a gray room that you shot targets at, you would not go back to ride. No, 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 no. Okay, there has to be something, okay? Because what you're describing, if there isn't a game or if there isn't, like, a thing that's moving you real fast and doing corkscrews, is just a park. It's a pretty park. There is more than the aesthetics and the crazy expense here. Like, okay. I could walk through a hotel as much as I wanted right. that, that costs billions of dollars, and but it wouldn't have, like, the visceral thrill of, like, Disney There's theme not park enough rides. of a focus on, in that specific case with the Buzz Lightyear ride on the game of it. <laughs> Uh, for the VR solution to be any good at all. But think of how much better the game could be. But that's what I'm, hold on. <laughs> but that's not the focus of the Buzz Lightyear experience. Well, I also don't even want to to focus in on that. I really just think that you have to look at it as the the Buzz Lightyear experience. In, I can't remember what it's actually called. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the park is going to see a movie and the VR version of it is the VHS home release. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, you you could pay slightly less money for the watered-down experience where you aren't being moved around mechanically. Now, you could, if you're an enterprising <laughs> gentleman, hire people to sh- just shake you. 
Okay. <laughs> and like set up a, like a fan system to give the impression that you're moving. While I understand that the achievements that have been made in amusement park rides like this <laughs> are grand and extraordinary, mm-hmm. I feel like you guys aren't appreciating the implications of moving porting this to VR, meaning you no longer have to adhere to physics ever. This Just is true. throw physics out the window completely. Do anything that you want in the space. Well, no, porting it to VR is a good idea. I was thinking you were suggesting replacing the ride with you sit down in a chair and put a headset on. I was also kind of suggesting. Okay, that's, that's bad. Home release where you can play it in your living room, good. Right, yeah. Because th- this is also, like, Rush of Blood is a great example. Uh, what is the name of that? Until Dawn. Yeah. Until Dawn, yeah. Rush of Blood, for anybody who's questioning what the fuck we're talking about, mm-hmm. is basically like a rail shooter where the in-fiction reason that you're playing a rail shooter is that you've been like kidnapped and put on like a literal roller coaster, <laughs> and then you ride around on the roller coaster with pistols and shotguns and shoot at things that come to attack you. And what's cool about that is exactly what I just said. <laughs> the fact that there is like game where you one with one-to-one motion shoot at things while riding on a roller coaster is one of those awesome things that a kid <laughs> thinks about when he's eight years old mm-hmm. and it's become a reality in in the world that we live in and that is rad and is a very different experience than the puzzle like your experience <laughs> right because like there's no fail state like you do get a score at the end but that's kind of just like a token they give you to be like look it mattered kinda, and then you walk away and you get on fucking Space Mountain, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that's cool and is a totally different thing, but the part that I agree the most with you and the part where I think that Derecine sort of, like, diverges from, like, it's somewhere in between, like, a good VR experience and the ideal VR experience is because games don't have to abide by physics, and they also don't have to abide by logic or sense or anything really <laughs> uh and i th- i think that like really just freaky weird shit <laughs> is 100 percent in the in the ballpark for like great vr things mm-hmm. um here they lie is a game that i played uh just like three or four weeks ago that is like Ba- it's bad for my for my tum tum, because it's an old VR game. It was like a launch title, mm-hmm. um, but like there's a sequence in that where you're like in a boat going down a river. Keep in mind, river didn't exist before. You were like in a subway and you got on a boat, and then it became a river. And then you're going by these like towering statues, and so what you're left with is somebody with their fucking jaw on the floor, sitting in a chair in their living room, staring <laughs> awkwardly up at the ceiling and going like, "This is amazing." Yeah. I feel like if you could get rid of the disembodied hands and like the the weird little uh, motion control problems we were talking about, which that game does, no, because it uses a controller, yeah. Well, then you have to deal with the motion sickness. You could get rid of the immersion-breaking things we've mentioned here. Uh, the horror potential with VR is, like, through the fucking roof. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, all, like, the surreal visuals that you could deliver 
like it, it makes me excited to think about. Oh yeah. It makes me sad that we probably won't get there for a while. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've been genuinely scared in a lot of games yeah, I've played yeah. in VR. Like there has to be a game where you're walking around under general VR controls and the entire time it's just the game is just waiting for you to look up and see the thing that has been out of your FOV but like staring happily above you. <laughs> that monster in the dark that is literally just outside your field of view. And I'm sure that it actually is already out there something like that. It's just how well was it executed? Yep. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about Derecine, <laughs> I think. Wait, Which I've got a thing to talk about with Derecine. <laughs> it, it has one horror element that I think is really well done. It has a couple of moments that I thought were actually pretty creepy. And yeah. Among my favorite parts. So. Yes. The game sets up very effectively for several hours the rules of how you interact with the space and then introduces, spoilers, the evil fairy. Uh, that walks around like you, like a like a smooth, like a, intentionally smooth, uh, like obvious agent in the space, mm-hmm. and it's terrifying. I wish they did more with it after the introduction, but the first time you look over and you see just a dude walking around in what has otherwise been literal stopped time pretty much all the time yeah. uh, is pants-shittingly good. Yeah. I like that he, like, teleported between spots as well like you do right mm-hmm. and not only that but his design was also very creepy and good mm-hmm. and that's something that from software just sort of like is, is good at yeah like there's there really isn't a, a from software enemy in a game that i've been like that isn't terrifying <laughs> yeah. in some way you can tell they had a lot of fucking zombie practice going into this game mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, like those uh, handful of chapters where you go into the woods uh, was the highlight for me. Yeah. Uh, because, as you said, they set up like the the foster home, the mansion, whatever, and you go around it, and like they just change the contents of the rooms and where things are. And, but you're just going through that same house, and then all of a sudden this one door that's been locked the whole time that leads to the basement becomes open and you go down and it leads to like a little cave and then it's like a train station, like a subway station, Mm -hmm. which then leads out into the woods, which leads up like a side of a cliff, you know, and then it just starts like, it just expands like way further than you would expect. Yeah. I was just going to say it does a really good, uh, it does a good job of setting that up because you spend so much time in the in the area that the shock of seeing new stuff and mm-hmm. going like into this vast area and being hit with things that you don't understand again uh, really masks like the fact that realistically moving from one area to another in a straight line is probably one of the weakest parts of the game because mm-hmm. the movement is so like button mashy it feels weird to do but you get over it because you just you have to you can't like (laughs) focus on your thumb pressing a button when you're like also trying to take in all of the information that's being given to you that doesn't keep it at least in my experience from feeling like walking through a viewfinder though i mean that's a little bit fair yeah like one of those like uh the viewfinder yeah. toys where you like click the button down and it yeah hold the fucking phone is there a non-toy version of a viewfinder my understanding is that viewfinders were used for legitimate purposes and then they became toys once they were outmoded by like film like before film that's kind of what i was thinking like a, like a nickelodeon but one that you can just have you know what i mean no on your face 
Like the thing that just shows an animation frame by frame. Oh, you wanted like yeah, one of those yeah. little spinny things yeah. from the county like, fair. Yeah, they used to be like, yeah, like a box mm-hmm. that you'd put a nickel in. Right. <laughs> probably not and a then, nickel. They'd probably be yeah, too no. much. Yeah, that'd be. That sort of thing. Be a hay penny, definitely. Yeah, hay penny. <laughs> Uh, and you could watch a little thing in it. Mm-hmm. You, had to, you, you, had to turn, you have to turn a crank or something. I don't remember. Yeah, you see those uh, nudie pictures? Yeah. You, <laughs> it was used for porn. <laughs> it was used for porn. That's why it was a technical advancement. Yeah, uh-huh. and that's why they made it a toy. Another distinct limitation of VR. <laughs> anyway, yes, it does kind of feel like that as you're moving through spaces. Like porn. Like porn. Okay. I feel like I had almost the ideal VR experience, which is why everything that I say positively about this game can probably, like, to somebody who has more of, like, a uh, a backlog of, of VR that you've been working through, take what I say with a little bit of a grain of salt because, like, this is sort of the ideal VR experience for me because I spent the slower opening couple of hours of the game just marveling at the fact that I could look at shit. Like, I was just like, oh, what the fuck? Like, the stairs are right over there. <laughs> I can walk over to them? <laughs> Like, to me, that was, like, astonishing because I hadn't really played much in VR that wasn't standing in one spot, like arcade stuff, mm-hmm. which I still think is good, but, like... This experience was unique and new, and it just sort of, like, played into that in the first few hours, and then, like, climbing the tree, it's literally two buttons that you have to press. You look at it, you press a button, you jump to the tree. Yeah, yeah, there's it is a, cool. There's a legitimate, like, revelation of, like, oh, I can go up the tree. Mm, yeah. You, know, you wouldn't think you'd be able to do that. Yeah, just seeing something from a new vantage point in VR and being able to, like, yeah, do that 360 like, just spin all the way around mm-hmm. and be like, look at all this shit that I can look at with my eyes that I've been looking at things with for years but didn't appreciate until just now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I was also, like, I was able to, like, adjust and kind of get over the unimmersive qualities of the game after I'd played it for a little while. Uh, I played it in three sittings, and, like, the second... And like each sitting, like each uh, time I sat down to play the game, was a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, by the third one, I, I thought it was like a pretty, uh, pretty good experience overall for me. We should probably hit just like some of the base mechanical elements of the game before coming back and really talking about the tone and and the way that the narrative is structured and plays out. <laughs> the no clip stuff. Sure, I feel the like no this might stuff. lead into one of my points that you get to describe it. So so just to keep my hand up before I reveal my full house of thoughts that I'm concealing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you better have damn good final thoughts with an analogy like that. I thought, I thought a full house is like one of the worser poker hands. The, it, I mean, I guess it's kind of like middle of the road. Okay, yeah, middle of the road thoughts is a good description. It's three and two, right? It's still pretty rare. You better have at least <laughs> mediocre final thoughts after an analogy like that. All right. You guys describe to me how you would describe the base mechanical structure of the game. Like, what do you do? Uh, you walk around and talk to people. <laughs> uh, I would compare this to, like, Mist. You, It's... In, it's controlled in first person, and you move around uh, uh, 3D space, you interact with objects, and you talk to characters, and you 
kind of like adventure games. I feel like we use that to describe so many games that we play uh, that it doesn't really fit with, but here we are again. Uh, it it kind of is like a, an adventure game where like you take objects from the environment and use them to solve puzzles yeah. and you know progress through a, a narrative. Yeah, I th- I think that's spot on, especially like the the mist comparison like this is sort of like mist for babies but with a different town <laughs> yeah because like even in mist like to be to bring more specifics into the comparison you often talk to characters in very indirect means mm-hmm. uh, which is the entirety of what you do in this game is anytime you're interacting with something it's through a really subtle change or through a memory or something like that um, but yeah those those sort of nineties PC adventure games, uh, like, were the template for what this game is. Yeah, that was kind of like early first-person FMV ones, specifically. Yeah. It gave gave me those vibes. Yeah, there's a mist in here, there's a shadow gate in here. Yeah. While I think that comparison is just gorgeous, just one of the most beautiful comparisons (laughs) ever made on these audio recordings that we collect on a monthly, at this point, basis, uh, this game for almost the entirety of its runtime felt to me like mist but without the good puzzles. I know good is a bit a little bit the wishy good puzzles. I, okay, okay, okay. That's a discussion for another day. Indeed, indeed. What I what I'm meaning to imply is that the puzzles with the exception of the last one that Chad got to painfully experience my way through because uh, <laughs> the fail states are so bad. Uh, but with the exception of like the last Plastic from software, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever, uh, <laughs> the exception of the very last puzzle, I didn't really even mentally conceive of what I was doing as a puzzle. Mm-hmm. It, it got to that adventure game point where it was so immediate and so smooth and without any, with so little mental humps that I really did just feel like I was following a prescribed line. It, it, it is. That's fair. I think it is kind of more just lock and key than it is puzzle. Mm-hmm. I just find the thing take it to the spot it belongs and then progress and not only that but uh the game has like a 4a from software game surprisingly forgiving generous hint mechanic in the clock which from what you've been told is how you like kind of how you travel through time but also like does a few other things and also just tells you exactly what you have to do most of the time. (laughs) So like one of the things that I would legitimately consider a puzzle that you do in this game is you have to open the window to the music hall for as for some reason I don't know why they couldn't go inside and then open the window or if they like swung in. Wasn't it locked? the door yeah presumably but why do they have to why couldn't they get the key i don't i think someone took it i don't remember headmaster was dead probably the problem (laughs) they were risking death to open this window fair enough but they mean kids man yeah kids. (laughs) but you have to open the thing and in order to open the thing you have to get the window opener Mm -hmm. device Uh, what a beautiful setup and payoff the window opener device (laughs) see but in order to get the window opener device you have to wake up marie and in order to wake up marie you have to go find nils and get the beater for the triangle that rosa has and then have rosa play the triangle wakes up marie which frees up the thing and then that's when it all comes together you get it 
that that's a puzzle. I think that counts as a puzzle. I but they agree, tell you yeah. to do all that stuff, <laughs> like step by step, <laughs> if you look at the watch. Uh, so the way to play it really is to just not look at the watch. Yeah. I actually kept forgetting that the watch did that, and so I almost never looked at it. Yeah. I think by – just because you guys watched me play, I felt like I started and in this particular state that I'm about to describe and never moved off of it. And that state was that point you get to in a puzzle game where you just try everything – I felt like I was always and only just trying everything in Deracine. Mm. Partially because the space is so constrained and because of what you're doing is divided into discrete, like, checkable chunks for the most part. And so little, at least it seemed to me, was interactable that you could literally just, like, go to a space for one second and be like, is there a thing here? No. And then just go to the next space. In the way that wouldn't be true if it was if the movement was continuous. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if you didn't have locations that you had to be where stuff might be you might walk right past like the thing that has the key in it right yeah yeah i feel like yeah that probably stems from the fact that this is like a fully 3d environment like if you think of comparable like 2d adventure game puzzles like you have like a certain amount of screens whereas like it in this it feels like there's so much possibility space that you feel like you do need to be checking everything and trying everything because you might easily walk right past it. True. But it is harder to walk past it when you can only walk to specific True, areas, but I mean, which... it is still like a, a f- de- decently sized 3D space. Like, it's easy to miss stuff in 3D. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, like, if you look at... Because the, the potentiality of a difficult game in here is really sort of embodied by the coins... Which I bothered to pick up, but I don't think anybody else has or should. I found three, thought I was looking for them, but apparently I'm wrong, because I found three. (laughs) I I think I found three. All right. Uh, Yeah, but getting them, like, and there are hints scattered throughout that you can find. They're, like, a little bit, a little cheeky, a little, like, a little (laughs) riddle-esque. And I think that kind of, like, scavenger hunt thing could be implemented here using this system and still retain a level of like not being just disgustingly obvious what you're supposed to do at all times but it's not really fun mm-hmm. and it wouldn't lend itself to the the tone of this I mean by no means is this game like a breakneck experience yeah like this is a slow contemplative game by design but I think that making it too difficult to get from one point to the other would be a disservice. I think like maybe they made it really obvious and simple at the beginning because they were assuming a lot of people would be new to this whole VR shtick that they're doing. And then they kind of failed to ramp up the... to implement like a difficulty curve um, on the level that maybe they should have. Yeah. This is such like a plebeian thing to say, but like, like really, <laughs> the most most of the time, this didn't feel like a game to me. This felt like a really choppy, not tech demos too mean. I say too many things that are too mean on this podcast, but it, it felt like a, a, a really choppy linear narrative experience it, in the vein of all sorts of walking simulators uh, to me. And I, I would constantly get to point to where I felt like I was moving through really discrete prescribed challenges that I knew the answers to 
or locations that I had no way to predict or interact with meaningly. Like how many times in this game does it just cut off areas and surprise open areas for no obvious reason based on anything that you did? Like stuff just kind of just happens around you, which is the other reason I felt like I had to always check everywhere all the time. Cause like there could just be, that door could be open now around the corner and the solution might be in there. Cause that was the solution like six times. Well, I feel like the, I mean, there's like just a, a whole bushel of reasons for all of this stuff. Like one, it, it costs money to develop new areas. So they, they focus it on just like one building essentially. And the problems that that creates are everything that you just said, basically, mm -hmm. where they have to sort of build all of these paths that are each like chapter into this one space. And they can't have you just free roam the whole thing because little tiny things that shouldn't take you very long will end up taking you an hour because you like walked up the stairs and checked the, the ceiling of the observatory for the 90th time. Yeah? I say they also contextualize that by, by the whole like uh, conceit that you're the fairy and then you can't really everything's standing still for you. You're not really at this place in this time. You're kind of like at a frozen version of it. And like, you can only go in the rooms that are open and you can only, you know, but like you they can open drawers. Like, and you do unlock that. doors also. Yes. Which is... Yeah. I mean, like they at least tried. They though. do. Yeah. They did try. <laughs> but Chad, to your point, yeah. this, what I wanted this game to be and I think is exactly the thing that gets over the kind of issues that you're talking about. I wanted this to be VR Gone Home, and it was not. Right. Gone Home is a game with those similar restrictions by design. They wanted you to explore one specific intimate space. It doesn't have the narrative focus of Deracine, mm -hmm. which is weird, especially coming from a from software title. But like, but I, but Gone Home is a game in which you are constantly exploring a mostly isolated location at your own pace. And I feel like the clues in that game hit exactly the middle ground if I wanted between you find it and end up working out well. It, you aren't interrupted. Everything goes through smoothly. It has good atmosphere. Like these are all things that I kind of wanted in Deracine that between limitations in VR and a lot of the base mechanical structures they picked didn't allow it to do. Like I, I really did feel like a lot of the time I was walking around finding like audio logs from Bioshock over and over again. Right. The interaction exists, you're correct, between you and the characters, but it is like the most delayed. You are like ringing someone up on a gramophone, like you're recording <laughs> it, etching it, handing it to them. Yeah. I want to be. I don't want to be unfair to Gone Home because I also love that game. Yeah. Uh, and I also and I don't, but I don't want to like draw the parallel too strongly here because 100% this game could be seen as like VR Gone Home, but Gone Home also had audio logs. I think it's important to note, yeah. and also locked off areas though much less. Uh, I guess like overtly, they were like hidden passages or like very you know, strictly, this is a locked door and you usually know where the key is. You just have to go get it. And all of that is to say that Gun Home and this game, I think, are actually different in goal. And I, I think was going to say that. Yeah, I think that the story 
of Deracine was more important than the exploration elements. And I also wish that the exploration was more the focus because it was the first VR game that I played and finding other exploration-based games is a uh, impossible at this point. Like, Deracine yeah. is kind of the cream of the crop. It's such it a hill to get over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so big. But I guess moving into that story shift... Uh, is enough for me to, I think, drop the immediate bombshell of, I don't care about these kids. Fuck these kids. <laughs> I had, My heart has no room for them. And we can talk more about that after the break? Yeah, I think we can talk more about break that. Time. Break time. Break, 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 because there are only two songs in <laughs> yeah. this game. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, it's difficult for me to preface this next part of the podcast without just saying the word tone loudly and drawn out for like 15 to 16 (laughs) seconds. Yeah. Uh, But the tone though, right? It is a strong, interesting tone. And I, I, this is 100% a thing that I can tell was very subjective to me. Another instance where I feel like the game, it's kind of funny. Most of the time when I say, I really like, what they're doing with the tone in this game, but it's not for me. I'm normally saying that about like crazy over the top anime shit that rubs me the wrong way. But this is the first, this is about as far from anime shit I feel like as you can get. Just like dour English countryside children, <laughs> a bunch of like orphans sitting together talking about soup and yeah, reeds. Morose orphans is probably <laughs> a far away. <laughs> From over the top animation. <laughs> like, if you had a spectrum that ran from, like, out, outlandish ridiculousness to, like, contained, <laughs> calm tone, it would be Danganronpa on one end, Deracine on the other. Indeed. And it managed to hit the other extreme for me. I did not enjoy the tone and just general pacing of this game. And it was entirely just because it was an English thing. I was <laughs> I was bored in the way that I imagine anyone who loves the Transformers live action movies would be bored if you handed this video game to them. Like I just spent long periods of time just like, <sighs> and I feel like that's the point. I feel like that sigh is what the game wanted you to feel repeatedly. It's kind of ghost like the sound that I just made into the <laughs> microphone. Yeah, but. I, I don't know. I want to I want to fucking murder people with swords. I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a lead gamer who wants to do lead gamer things. And if, if you're going to make me walk around in a walking simulator, I want it to either be some kind of crazy high concept thing, some kind of comedy thing or about gay people. So I don't even I don't know what the Oh, was that gone home? That was gone home. I was like <laughs> trying to come up with what the exact uh parallels yeah mm-hmm. yeah i feel mostly the opposite uh i really liked the tone and like the aesthetics and atmosphere of the game a lot uh i don't know if either of you two have read it but this gave me like an artemis fowl vibe strangely 
I have read that, but it, it, it has been like maybe 15 yeah. real years. Yeah, it's <laughs> fair enough. Uh, it's got the whole like, it's it's more of a modern setting, but it has like the whole like existence of like fairies uh, part as part of the story and the, how like they manage to like move around our world without being seen. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of it in that way. Um, and it, it had like this like fantasy kind of tone always like lurking in there like it was like more like an undertone um but in more of like the fairy tale way where you kind of don't know it's more open-ended it's not like you know like high fantasy fantasy where you know Mm -hmm. exactly what to expect you know it's like more of like a fable kind of a thing yeah Uh, i mean this is 100 percent guillermo del toro by way of from software that's a very good way of putting it yep and not like Guillermo del Toro Hellboy or Guillermo del Toro <laughs> Pacific Rim. Or Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, the Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, it's like, um, what is that called? I want to say it's Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, but I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, the one with the teeth monsters? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I, it's something like something that. Something about the dark and um, being afraid of it. <laughs> just, I kept feeling, tonally speaking, like this game was me looking at a mysterious circumstance from the more boring perspective of like the Vavitch where like, instead of like your normal people and mysterious shit is happening all around you and you don't know, and it could be like just a normal thing, but it might be something far worse. Instead, What's, you're the far you're worse. You're the mystical thing. Yeah. yeah you're just like on the story. Yeah. Yeah. You're like a campfire ghost, like a spooky ghost who runs around and moves things when people aren't looking, but yeah. you're just like, you realize how boring that is when you're the ghost and you're just mm-hmm. like, Oh, be boring and to be a that ghost. was kind of the glue that <laughs> held it together for me was like the the ghostly like observer who could like only i don't know that concept landed for me i guess yeah i mean it's like um a, a very far removed version of ghost trap where instead of interacting in limited ways to like prevent a whole Rube Goldberg machine from going off. Mm-hmm. You're interacting in limited ways to subtly suggest to people to change things over an incredibly large time scale. It's like the butterfly effect, but it's even smaller than that. <laughs> like it's a, a very minuscule minuscule like effect that you're actually having on the physical world. Oh my god. You just gave me such a good alternative mechanical concept idea for this uh-huh is I, it just ghost trick vr <laughs> no i don't really know what ghost trick is and i will not comment i wish this game had like more narrow mechanical interactions with defined rules like i, I wish it was like a defined magic system where like you're a poltergeist and you would get a power that's like now you can move things three inches and like that's what you can do and you have to figure out like oh if i if i move this pot Right. three inches it'll <laughs> fall off and cause a distraction like right like how, how to apply your limited ability in like a physical way yeah and like you can create a tiny gust of wind like cantrip powers in D. that's what i was yeah yeah i mean i can see that and i can see it being an interesting thing but it runs contrary to like this game yeah. i think kind of yeah. obviously that feels a lot more like video gamey yes it's not really from software territory Either way, uh, unbelievably, I actually fall kind of in the middle on this one for the first time ever. You're the Andy. Yeah, Yeah, I'm the Andy (laughs) on this one. Because this uh, setting, 
is immensely uninteresting to me. <laughs> I I hate it with a passion that I feel for very few other things. Such a moderate. I know. But <laughs> here's where because that's the that's the steaming hot liquid that I'm now gonna pour this lukewarm <laughs> liquid on top of to end up in the middle, which is I think that like the way that this narrative played out, in addition to just the excitement of general VR experience, which is why I feel like I'm in kind of a Goldilocks zone with this game, mm-hmm. uh, really kind of just held my attention in a way that I feel like this game setting on its own wouldn't. Plus, and this is not in the spirit of making like objective comments to describe good or bad game design and is in fact horrible as far as like a review standpoint would would go but i saw the name from software come up on the title screen and i mean obviously i knew about this for dramatic purposes i saw it come up on the on the title screen and said there's going to be more to this and then by the time that the novelty had worn off the 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 more that there was to this entered frame and it paid off for me like putting up with dealing with the cat by giving a stupid feather duster to a ghost and then having her scare the cat away and i don't care like i really don't (laughs) was interesting enough for me in the scenario that when i then went out and saw the creepy guy and the the all the dead kids and like the (laughs) fucked up shit that started happening I was into it. Like, I was like, this is what I was here for, but I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> Can I understand it? And I'm, I'm happy that you had that kind of faith that could be rewarded in these dark times. <laughs> I mean, we we did force you, essentially, to sit there and, and try and be rewarded. <laughs> I feel like my expectations probably brought the experience as a whole down for you. Yeah. I feel like it wasn't your expectations. I feel like it was partially mine. Like, I was as intrigued as you were when I heard from software VR game that seems incredibly, like, dour and withheld. Mm-hmm. I also had assumptions that it was going to go somewhere, but those assumptions kind of got really graded out of me, like a coarse <laughs> sandpaper, as I, as I kept walking through hallways full of children talking about, the, like, leaves that they wanted and <laughs> providing them leaves uh, i kind of got to the point where i also just wanted the leaves but i had i had a podcast yeah before before you went out harvesting yeah granted can't deny that a payoff exists and in specifically all the build-up uh and then payoff to mar margaret margaret margaretta margaretta yeah. Uh, the, the oh g- god sorry yeah, I'm so sorry a, we have a list <laughs> but <laughs> so I also didn't names. look at it and just said yes you're right <laughs> even though he was not right <laughs> uh, the, the, a horror I did not expect a zombie when I went outside right yeah a spooky ghost zombie also mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. more just kind of a corpse yeah it moved <laughs> I mean it was more it was more corpse like more than the average ghost than, yeah than a <laughs> I think corpse. it just yeah her, her hands moved when you took the collar off her neck yeah oh different corpse I think is what or I was talking about the zombie that is the other fairy you were referring to literally a corpse yes floating down the river mm-hmm. <laughs> 
as corpses are wont to do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Classic corpse space. Yeah. yeah. Floating in rivers. <laughs> corpses, boats. It's all you get. It's like the classic narrative way that you give corpses surprise agency in a scene is running that they water. always enter through like the running water. <laughs> That's how they enter frame. Uh, yeah. That seems. That seems accurate. <laughs> um. So, there was a bit of payoff because this game has a uncharacteristically straightforward actual plot to it. There are things that happen in an order that eventually reach a conclusion. Okay. Uh, which is not really something from software has done much of uh, as far as like straightforward actual narratives. We had a conversation before this before we actually sat down to record, about sort of, like, what the underlying... Plot? Lore. Like, the <laughs> stuff that isn't explicitly told mm. to you. Uh, I don't think you, you really need to be, like, lore, open quotes about it. This game has fucking lore. There is lore in this game. <laughs> I don't want you to minimize the presence of the lore, because the lore is, like, one of the few things in this game that really does kind of pay off in an interesting way. And like many from software games, kind of requires your engagement to get it. Mm-hmm. Like I was looking for it, and I missed a ton. Like you're gonna have to try. I mean, that's sort of how do I like describe this? Yes, I think that does fall under like the the purview of lore largely. <laughs> I think that this game's narrative requires a lot more of it, and it's put in a lot more obvious locations. Not all of it, obviously, but like. It's in more obvious locations than, say, like the backstory on characters in a Dark Souls game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they involve the characters in it. Like mm-hmm. Nils is always trying, like reading those books, and if you look at what books he's reading, you'll get backstory and lore right. about fairies and about the experiments and all that shit. Which I think is a good call because you have a reason to pick up that book because it's Nils has it. Yeah. You know, it draws your attention. I mean, and I I do really think that, like, a lot of this is really necessary to understand the narrative as told because uh, it kind of makes no sense without it in areas where, like, why are these kids here? Why do they keep a corpse in, in a room upstairs? <laughs> why the can't whole they time? leave the house? Yeah, why, why don't they ever go anywhere? Uh, and these are sort of like important questions that need to have answers for your narrative to really be complete. And so I think that they do just sort of drop shit and be like, here, here's the answer to that one. And so there, there's deeper stuff. Like we, you mentioned the, like the Rhone thing, like Mm -hmm. the place where they were actually like originally doing experiments to attempt to like create fairies, Mm -hmm. um, or just research on fairies generally. And I honestly think that that is disconnected enough and pretty well hidden and very fucking interesting. Uh, whereas things like what you are and like how Yulia got into the state she is uh, are all things that are also obscured, but just not as heavily because you need them. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that was such a... <laughs> unanimous. Yeah. Yeah. It was a unanimous mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Hard left turn. Hit me. The, I think the voice direction, not the voice acting, the voice direction in this game is terrible. Okay. The voice acting is very good. Correct. Yeah. 
I don't feel like after they established a script, they did not do enough to inform the voice actors that the characters need to be different in tone. Everyone, male and female, with one maybe exception of the red-haired girl, sometimes speaks like a demure, like, wispy child. Like Every voice is just like this all the time and there's no emotional variation at any point and they they are spot on for that kind of tone and it assists to the overall tone of the game like most of the time they should be acting like kids in a relatively oppressed environment but it got to the point where it became harder when i was with them to like distinguish them i guarantee you if you just gave me a playback of any of the voices of this kid i could not place you who it was but there were clearly they did a good job like in the modeling in the narrative to define who these kids were differently like i found hat kid hilarious every time i was with him herman I'm not going to name him Herman when Hat Kid is a much better I name. I wrote Hat next to him so you would know. <laughs> okay. The goal of the list is, to, is when I reach for a name, I will know what it is. I'm going to call him Hat Kid so the audience right, who just, doesn't have this list. That just makes me think of A Hat in Time, though, because that's the name of the protagonist. Hat in that kid. Game. Really? Yeah. yeah he's, oh, he's called Hat Kid. Hat Child. To somebody who plays this game yeah. and then listens to this podcast, Hat Kid is going to be more descriptive, but we can do Hat Kid or Herman, yes. and then use Herman when necessary in the future. Agreed. Either way. Hat Kid or Herman uh, was hilarious. The idea of having a person in a game like this, in a VR game, whose conceit is that there's always shit under his hat, yes. is great. But his voice and what he does is not as individualized or characterized as his features and role in the narrative. He should have a cooler voice than he does and a more distinctive voice than he does. And I feel like what the disconnect that happened here is that even though the script is good and even though the voice actors are good, they were never given, they were never told that these characters had to be extremely distinct from one another. Everyone was told about the environment and the tone that the game was trying to set. And they set it beautifully, but they never went beyond that and none of the characters feel distinct to me for that reason. Yeah. It also kind of feels like they may have been too hung up on like sounding period accurate. Yeah. Like I feel like kids would have like at the at this kind of time period would have been like brought up to be like soft spoken in that way. Yeah. But I, like I, even when like the 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 old man is dead for like some amount of time in this narrative. Yeah. Uh and I feel like it would have been interesting like when they go down in the basement or whatever if they were more like freewheeling cuz they're like out on a little adventure doing what they're not supposed to do. Yeah, throwing a fuck or two. Yeah, like some <laughs> a little obscenity here or there. Legitimately sort of thought that when um cuz like there's this whole sequence where it is like the, and I hate to bring the sequence up twice because it really is a dumb fucking sequence. With the cat? With the, not with the cat, with the, uh, the window, opening the window, mm. where everything that is happening is, can really be described as just kids being stupid kids. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the scene is they're setting up to do, a, like, a concert. And there's a kid who's practicing the triangle but doesn't have one of the essential <laughs> pieces of playing the tri the simplest goddamn <laughs> instrument. And she's like, well, I have the triangle, but I don't have anything to hit it with. And then another kid's sleeping on the job for no, because she was up practicing the whole night. Like, whatever, she's, she's fine. I guess she's just a dork. Uh, 
Nils is carrying everything else, and that's all good. That's just shit that people would do. But then there's these people climbing up on the roof, trying to open this window. There's a little girl putting a dog on a hat, or a hat on a dog. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to put a dog on a hat. And, like, yeah, that sequence, like, you feel like you make him sneeze, right? And I feel like, uh, her, uh, yeah. Lawrence? No. Herman Kane at that time would just go, oh, damn it. Anything. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, Some just, kind of an obscenity. Yeah, but it, he has, like, almost no dialogue mm-hmm. at all there. But no, this is something that I also kind of keyed in on, why it's so difficult to remember the characters' names, mm-hmm. is because they don't express as much of a personality as they should outside of Rosa, who you appropriately called out, and Yulia. Yeah, there are, there's definitely, as you just described, a whole sequence. There are scenes <laughs> where it feels like the characters should emote more and they don't. Yeah. yeah, and it yeah it definitely stands out. You're on point about being like the period restrictions probably playing into this, in addition to how strictly I'm all from software games are about their tone. Mm-hmm. A lot of other things I can think of that are also period pieces that do distinct characters well, like the Vavitch have the benefit of having like one character for each archetype, right? Like there's one teen girl, one little boy, yeah. one like they just by virtue of their age, they sound nothing alike, even mm-hmm. though their manner of speaking is very similar. I mean, even look at at Bloodborne, which is set in a Victorian era. Uh, yeah, like nearly identical like time period to this game. To the point where a lot of people thought that this game was like a sequel to Bloodborne in, in some small way. Uh, and it has characters, and NPCs in Bloodborne are arguably the least impactful in NPCs in any From Software game. And even their characters are like, even when difficult to tell apart, uh, visually or even by voice have distinct character and like if you just know which character you're talking about you have preconceived notions about what they would think or feel or do mm-hmm. and with this one it's like you don't like yeah. Lawrence sure because or Laurent whatever Lawrence La- yeah. Yeah. it's the fat one yeah like <laughs> he, he clearly takes on sort of like the fatherly role yeah. but then like Hermit like Nils is a dork and that's cool that's mm-hmm. his thing but like Marie Rosa uh, I don't have any like strong connection like they just seem Marie like was kind of like the mom of the group as well sort of like the two oldest kids kind of had the parental roles right and yet Rosa was like the the youngest like happy go lucky one like the they the stuff was there it just was not at all fleshed out yeah there wasn't enough of an there emphasis. was yeah very vague characterization yeah. super nice touch with the portraits though oh yeah Marie drew all of them except for her own which Rosa drew which looks still like a thousand times better than anything I could draw but <laughs> yeah. like comically no. bad in comparison that, that was a very good joke mm-hmm. and it's just like an environmental detail yep. which is nice a plus. I was feeling like we could probably wrap this thing up. I agree. Uh, at least shortly. Um, before we go into final thoughts, are there, one, any just sort of like small things you want to mention? And uh, I have like one kind of. Uh, you want to talk about the end? Yeah, I mean, we can, we can do that. Uh, I just wanted to uh, get your thoughts on it. I know I watched you play it, JJ, and mm-hmm. it didn't seem to land well with you. Well, that's entirely... Uh, <laughs> well, well, we'll discuss it. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it, Chad, because uh, it, it does a cool, or at least what I thought was kind of cool anyway, uh, thing where 
in order to like you're trying to save all these children because like these scenarios that keep playing out you know like they all die or a couple of them die or whatever so you're trying to get it so that everyone's fine you know fix all the the little wrinkles uh and make everything work out so you go back to the beginning like and it's part of the tutorial area i think that's probably the thing i like about it the most is that it splashes in like the tutorial prompts yeah so it's like recontextualizing a thing you saw before uh and you have to go in to the girls dorm and where uh yulia is in her bed and she has the wand and she's you know making the wish uh and she asks you to take her life force and you do and it creates the red fairy ring and then you know, it prompts you to put it on your right hand, but uh, that will just, you know, make the game start over again. Right. Uh, and to, to, to finish the game, uh, you can either put the ring on Yulia's hand and give her life force back to her, uh, which sets everything right. Uh, or apparently you can walk away, which none of us did. Yeah. So I, I tried to do and did it wrong many times. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like... What's weird is that, like, despite the obvious tension between you and the game at the end there, I feel like... I think you, you just have to not take the ring. Like, you just turn and walk out. Yeah. I, well, no, you, it's not that. I think you have to, like... I'm not going to say anything, because I don't actually know. Yeah, I don't either. Because uh, <laughs> I feel like there should be an option to leave before the ring even gets created because mm. if you if you kill yulia that still seems like yes maybe oh, not yeah you move. just don't take the wand yeah. yeah you probably have to to walk away from that yeah but either way uh despite the tension at the end there i feel like narratively speaking having to redo a loop there at the end is the best thing. Like, I think that fucking up one time on that and fucking up preferably multiple times in the previous iteration where you have to, like, put together all the pieces to get them to not go to the woods Mm -hmm. um, is, you know, like I said, narratively speaking, the the best thing for the story. Mm -hmm. But it sucks, and it's, it's time-consuming, and it's the same shit again, and it makes it feel like there's, like, a huge, like, stumbling block at that point for me, where I was like, I get what they're going for, and I actually kind of like it, mm-hmm. but I don't want it to be an endless eight situation, because, like, that was a lot of time that I spent in my life just doing the same <laughs> yeah. thing, and I don't really want to relive it. Yeah, it's... it's- not very smooth like no. especially if you uh mess up and don't put the ring on Yulia at the very end mm-hmm. i think they send you back way too far uh so yeah there are definitely kinks there but i do really like getting to that ending decision messing it up and then their eureka moment of like realizing your mistake and like actually putting the ring on her i think it's a good moment mm-hmm. but yeah, it definitely could have been made, like, easier, or, like, taken less time. You can grease yeah. some of them wheels. Yes, gre- grease them wheels. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do at least telegraph it with the the third ring that you pick up. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm watching JJ play. Like, the cues are, I think, definitely there. Like, one of the last things you do before you start, like, the ending sequence is put the red ring that you got from Margareta on Yulia, right. which, like... 
it's like the exact same scenario but it's a different context so like you have the pieces there that you just gotta like adjust your perspective absolutely like what it is exactly you're doing i want to be explicit here i kind of blame me not the game for this i also love what they're going for with the skeptical ending i love that you can mess up and have to go back to the scene to not not mess up in a sense where it's just like you died like big on the screen <laughs> but mess up in, in a sense that the game respects it which is i think part of the reason why they wanted to make it long and annoying yeah because i had this trade-off where they had to pick between but, like making sure time continuity kept existing mm-hmm. and respecting that and making it not shit yeah i think they went a little too far though because like the way it just kind of dumps you back in like it it kind of becomes unclear what exactly just happened mm-hmm. you know and in a way that they want but i think it's a little bit too hard to realize what's happening like my first thought when i did that was is this because i'm playing on like chad's game and he already beat it so like the chapter select is messed up like you know, like, I, that was my first thought. It was that it was, like, yeah. I reached the end, and now it's, like, go back and play all the chapters, because you've already beaten the game. Mm-hmm. Like, so, it could have been a bit clearer, but Agreed. I think it was worth making the decisions they did. Also agreed. I feel like the tension that I experienced at the end there, and for viewer context, I had to retry the ending, like, three times, and I, they were... Well, you played it three times, you retried it twice. Yeah. Uh... I, the the setup information was there. I I liked that it was there. But the reason that I didn't, I feel like the reason I messed up so many times and had to keep repeating it and had to pay those costs, was because I just barely lacked enough information about understanding the narrative for me to really misunderstand what a lot of the goals of the scene were. Like I knew the big picture stuff, right? I know I'm trying to save the kids. I know I'm trying to keep everyone alive. I know I'm trying to keep this girl from dying, roughly. But I didn't really know, like, the mechanics of the ring thing. You're good about the setup where I put in the ring on. Like, my big hang-up was that I never understood, like, why am I having to kill this girl? Like, why am I touching that? Why am I putting this here? I wanted to just leave. Like, I understood the direction the narrative was going where your involvement is what causes that issue and you need to remove yourself from the equation. But I felt like at every point, like, I kept trying to leave at the wrong points. I kept trying to leave during the flower scene, and I didn't feel like even though it was appropriately climactic like i never it never really got through to me i never understood all the mechanics of the crazy fanciful stuff that was going on well enough for me to know when to leave i think that's fair like given like the information that i think the average player would have like not like letting her die seems like it might be an equally valid thing to do in that situation yeah it seems like a narrative like strong arm not to mention that like realistically the stakes might even be like slightly too high because you know what happens when you interfere in the situation and choosing to put the ring on her finger also sort of like contextualizes you as now just only being a dead baby yeah which is kind yeah. of a weird thing <laughs> it is so like it's it, it is like i in no way blame you for not having like the instant thought to just like pop just oh, yeah. pop that ring yeah on i there, had to do it a problem. second time as well but it's a cool fucking goal and i yeah. love the goal especially in a story about time travel like this them reaching that far you also did not have uh uh you you were understandably hesitant to just straddle the little girl in bed 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> I which, forgot about this. Which actually makes it a lot clearer because of like the position of her hand and if you pick up the ring and move it closer, which you, prompt. like the prompt will come on to and so like there's there's some yep. there's a choice there. Yeah. <laughs> and like did you play it in one sitting? Two. Two? Okay, yeah, I was gonna say like for us. I know we both started it, and then it was weeks in between. Mm-hmm. So like, mine was like, yeah, like sixteen hours. We we didn't, at least I didn't. I'm assuming you didn't recognize that that's a scene from the tutorial. Like you walked into the girl's dorm, and the wand was there, but the kids were not visible. Mm-hmm. So it's like recontextualizing that scene with new information, which also I think helps clue you into what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. in that situation. Yeah. Also, part of me feels like there could be a version of this game where if you put the ring on yourself, it forces you to play the entire game, game again, again. Yeah. which I would have found like just hysterical, but like wouldn't have ever played the game again <laughs> to do that, because I would have been like immensely frustrated, which mm-hmm. is my hypocrisy. Right. <laughs> I love the idea, but would have despised execution. Yep. Do we have final thoughts? I've, I have final thoughts. I don't have final thoughts. <laughs> well, let's hear. <laughs> I think this game has convinced me that I don't want to get into VR, which is weird because I was very excited about the prospect of VR. Uh, still a little bit am. I'd feel like once the games really find the niches that they can excel on the stuff that really impresses me about the tech uh, i'll love to come over and mooch off of your equipment uh, <laughs> but like at the moment i thought derisine was something like the kind of vr experience that i'd be looking for but i ended up running into the constraints of the hardware and of the human body so much and so frequently that it got kind of interrupted and i feel like even a version that of this game that addresses are like scene setting and narrative complaints where like all the kids were distinct people, things were just a bit little, like barely 10% clearer about what was going on. I feel like I still, it still wouldn't have been anywhere close to a favorite. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been something that I really would have certainly not uh, seeked out for the cost of VR equipment. Uh, it, 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 it's choppy. It, it feels like black and white TV to me. Um. I, get, I, I will actually just go ahead and take final thoughts, but what I really want to do is respond to that a little bit, which is more not me trying to push an opinion on you, but mm-hmm. just for the sake of anybody else listening. Like, if Darren is not your flavor, well, I'm not probably talking to you because this is an hour and a half into a <laughs> podcast about this game. But... If for some reason you are listening to this and you saw Derecine and you said, I'm not into that, that sounds boring. That is 100% a valid <laughs> position to take, but don't let this game be the thing that like turns you off of VR as a whole. And this is now, this is a conversation that we're having. Yes. I'm not just talking to the listeners anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes, Chad. Because like... Beat Saber still exists and is a cool thing. Yes. This is pretty unique when it comes to VR games from mm. my perspective. This is what I thought I wanted out of VR. Let's phrase fair, it like that. Yeah. This is what I thought I wanted and I was wrong. This is what I still want, but just a little bit more free, I think. I, I do want VR gone home. That would be awesome. But I also love the arcade stuff. Yeah. 
there's a, we have, we've discussed and identified the hurdles if they can be if they can be resolved. All right. Uh, I guess my final thoughts are uh, this game it definitely got flaws. JJ brought up a lot of good points on the episode, <laughs> uh, but an, enough of what they were going for clicked with me that I was able to look past a lot of that, and uh, this game landed a lot better uh, for me. Uh, and maybe I'm willing to write uh, that stuff off more than I would with other games because it's VR and it's still like novel to me. Mm-hmm. But like it did give me like some nostalgic pings of playing like early, like I brought up Mist. Like I just remember that game be looking so realistic at the time, even though like I couldn't make any progress in it at all. <laughs> like it was still fun to beat that game up and like walk around in. And this isn't nearly as strong as that, but it gave me some of that awe. And uh, I don't know how much that's affected my opinion, but like I, I enjoyed this game. Uh, I would never have ever played it uh, if I didn't live with you, though, because I would not have. I also would not have purchased PlayStation VR just to play it. But I'm glad that I got the chance to. Yeah, I feel like this game is sort of a. This was like a, a an excuse for me more than anything else because I was like, uh, well, it's from software. It's like a walking <laughs> simulator. It's like two of my favorite things come together. <laughs> so like I have to get VR. But that was all just like just a show because I was obviously going to get VR and in fact the requisite PlayStation 4 Pro on top of that <laughs> to improve the performance of VR <laughs> to make sure that I got like the crispest visuals possible. <laughs> uh, but I am a child um, and we discussed this all those many millennia ago on the Portal episode where everyone was like, eh, don't really care. And I was just sitting there dying inside going like, but I want to punch a guy in VR, <laughs> really, really know that I clocked him a good one, um, and I think that that, on my final thoughts on this game, is sort of what drew me in, and it did it provided me with the childlike joy that I wanted, and then it provided me with childlike sadness of real children <laughs> experiencing some very sad sadness. Um, hit me with a couple of creepy notes. I thought the tone was really good, and uh, that paid off to the point where I would pretty comfortably say this is my favorite game that I've played in VR so far, and it's entirely just because of the overall experience as opposed to -to moment-to-moment stuff. Hmm. So like a 7 out of 10 (laughs) IGN.com. Thank you for listening to Noclip this week. What are we talking about? Yes. What would be... The dumbest imaginable thing that we've ever done on the podcast to bring back again as like sort of as a as a thing to do. Are you gonna do an ARG again? No oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Uh oh, mystery may. Yeah, mystery Jesus, may. Jesus, man. <laughs> that should have been more obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mystery May would be a stupid. What's up, motherfucker? <laughs> Mystery May starts next episode. <laughs> what mysterious game are we talking about next time? We are enigmatically talking about <laughs> Detective Pikachu. <laughs>
<laughs> which coincidentally will be releasing one day after the Detective Pikachu movie does. So you can really get a companion piece going with, uh, with that. Until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on NoClipPodcast.com. There you can find links to our YouTube page, all of our old episodes, our Twitter, and our brand spanking new Discord server uh, that you can join to have likely a very intimate conversation (laughs) with uh, just a few of us. Um, Tell us about your breakfast. uh, Yeah, why not? (laughs) Tell us whether you prefer Cheerios with milk or Or if you should die. (laughs) (laughs) Travel to the next epoch where you can smash that life. (laughs) (laughs) Ring that bell. (laughs) To, never mind. I'm just going to cut that joke off. (laughs) To awaken Lawrence. I was going to try and do something Uh, Yeah, there's nothing there. I also tried the same thing. All of us have to cut off the heads of our own jokes before. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Before they become Before three more grow back in their place. We are the joke hydras. (laughs) This is not the symbol. We're doing the okay symbol. Andy is trying to pass off. you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. You gotta, it's always upside down. Whatever. It's like, always... mwah. Okay. Yeah. Also, apparently this is a white power symbol now, so. Is of, it... of course it is. <laughs> Whatever. I think we gotta stop seeding ground here. Mm. I, I think we just have to be like. No, this no. is not a white power <laughs> No, I agree. This means okay. Yeah. It was pretty much like, I'm pretty sure just like a shock campaign anyway. Uh, but like. It got a little bit of traction because some people, like, banned it from places. Yeah, I'm just worried we're going to wake up tomorrow and, like, French fries are now going to be just renamed across the board. Just completely. <laughs> just because one, I wasn't paying attention to the news. Mm-hmm. And one guy used French fries in a context that made it seem like a, I don't know, a slur against the deep French or something. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. French fries are now renamed Hitler fries. <laughs> Reich fries. <laughs> oh, Reich fries is a good name. Reich fries is something I would order off of a menu. Mm. I'm gonna cut all of this. <laughs> That's a good call. Maybe, maybe it'll be bonus a bonus episode. Yeah, yeah. I, I do feel like publicly putting on the internet me saying the phrase Reich fries <laughs> or something I would order <laughs> might have some bad <laughs> life consequences. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have the platform where you can say that and then also say, because it's ridiculous, (laughs) I feel like the context surrounding it would, would back that up. Indeed.